Well, good morning. Pastor Andrew here again, and I brought a friend, Bearsy Wearsy. I don't actually know this bear's name, uh, but some of you may recognize him. He's in the nursery, and perhaps you've held Bearsy Wearsy during some of your time during the nursery when the preacher just kept going on and on. I love the fact that we have teddy bears, and teddy bears bring a lot of comfort to people. Um, but today we're going to read a story about some bears that weren't so teddy bears, uh, but they were what I'll call covenant bears. Uh, they were bears that defended uh, the relationship of God with his people in actually kind of a shocking way. So I wondered if you would be willing to put aside, or you can hold on to your bearsy wearsy. I'm going to put him over there and read for you from 2 Kings. We're picking up the story of Elisha. And remember now, he has succeeded Elijah. The mantle has fallen to Elisha, and he is starting back into the promised land. They're on the east side of the Jordan. He is going back into the promised land. Here's where we pick up the story. Verse 15 of 2 Kings chapter 2. When the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. They came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him, and they said to him, Behold now, there are with your servants fifty strong men. Please, let them go and seek your master. It may be that the Spirit of the Lord has caught him, that is Elijah, up and cast him to some mountain or in some valley. And Elisha said, You shall not send. But when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said to them, Send. They therefore sent fifty men. And for three days they sought Elijah, but they did not find him. And they came back to Elisha while he was staying at Jericho. And he said to them, Did I not say to you, Do not go? So the men of that city, namely Jericho, said to Elisha, Behold, the situation of the city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. And he said, Bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him, and then he went to the spring of water, and he threw salt uh, into, into it, and he said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been healed to this day, according to the word that Elisha spoke. He, Elisha, went up from there to Bethel, and while he was going up along the way, some boys came out of the city, and they jeered at him, saying, Go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. And he turned around, and when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And here comes the bears. And two she-bears came out of the woods and tore forty-two of the boys. And from there he went on to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. So as far as we're going in the reading today, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Father, as we approach this text this morning, we ask that you would help us to understand, that you would open our eyes. There are some difficult things in here. I don't like this action of the bears and 
we don't understand things like new bowls and salt. And uh, so, Lord, we ask that you would help us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would help us. You are the one who illuminates to us the deep things of God. And we ask that you would do so today so that we might love you more and that we might uh, fashion our lives more and more to reflect uh, the life of our Savior. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you might remember the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 11, verse 22. He says, Note then, or behold, uh, the kindness and the severity of God. So interesting that he holds those two things together, the kindness and the severity of God. I feel like there's, in many respects, uh, that sense here. Reminds me of uh, a friend that I will call Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy came to the Lord late in life, in his 70s. Uh, he was a classic Mississippi brawler. Uh, as a young man, he had left the home past uh, his father, who was guarding the door with a shotgun, uh, with a gun of his own. He walked out and, and never came back. And from an early age, like 14 years old, he had to make his way in the world. And this was the day of riverboats and all of these types of things. He would go into a place, have to check his gun at the door. Uh, he became an enforcer, uh, first on the river and then for a businessman across the country. He was involved in some uh, gasoline price-fixing schemes. I mean, the life, the stories that he would tell were, were absolutely amazing. Um, but the Lord got a hold of him later in life, and, and he had that sense of the kindness and severity of God. When I would go to his house to visit him, he would say to me, it's hard for me to believe, Andrew, it's hard to me for me to believe that God would be kind to one such as me when he should be so severe. He should be so, um, so unmerciful. Um, but Jimmy understood that. And as we walk through this passage today, I, I hope that we come to reckon with both the kindness and severity of God. I actually want to walk through this passage backwards this morning because I think, uh, you know, as we read this, uh, it helps us to understand it a little bit because, first of all, we, we're, we're taken aback a little bit by what happens in Bethel uh, with these 42 boys and the she-bears. So let's understand that. Let's understand where that came from or what it comes out of it, what it proceeds, and then what it all means for us. So the first thing, and you see this on your outline, is a long disobedience in the same direction. Some of you may have heard that quote from Eugene Peterson. He actually talks about the Christian life as being one of a long obedience in the same direction. Uh, here, I see think what we see is the product of a long disobedience in the same direction. So as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, the, the names of the cities are important. Bethel, 
Jericho, Gilgal, uh, the Jordan River. These all trigger in for the Israelite community stories that have happened. And as we come to Bethel today, certainly what is triggered is the fact that while this was the place where God met specifically with Jacob and talked about his mercy in the stairway to heaven, it also was the headquarters of Israel's apostasy. During the time of Jeroboam, this is where the calves were set up. And instead of going to the temple in Jerusalem and worshiping God in the way that he asked to be worshiped, he called his people to worship him. They worshiped after the manner of their own heart. Uh, and this apostasy was going on now for four generations, for 80 years. People had been worshiping God as they set up instead of in the way that God commanded him. In fact, if you remember back in 1 Kings chapter 16, the place where we read about Heel, uh, the man from Bethel who set up uh, who built Jericho. He laid the foundation, the cost of Abiram his firstborn, set up its gates at the cost of the youngest son, Seguv, according to the word of the Lord, which was spoke by Joshua of Nun. It was a Bethelite who uh, perpetrated that indignity of rebuilding a cursed city that God said never to rebuild. And we're going to come to that again, that theme. But it's important to note that Heel was a Bethelite. This, this was a place uh, that had set itself up against God. Now, why am I mentioning that? Well, it's really important to understanding this story. Uh, this story is a little bit arresting because we see that Elisha, is going up from Jericho, the place where he's just done this miracle, healing the waters. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. He's going on the way. Now, there's no indication that he is actually going into Bethel. Um, the boys come out of the city, out of the walled city, past the gate, in order to mock him, to jeer at him, to sneer. And they say, go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. Now, think there's anything particularly wrong with having a bald head, and we're not actually quite sure what the, uh, the, the manner of the mockery is here. We're not sure if Elisha was actually bald. It would have been unusual for him to travel with his hair uncovered. Uh, it, it certainly wasn't the sign of asceticism. That would actually be long hair and not cutting it. Did he shave it in mourning for Elijah? We don't really know, but what we can see here is that we can see these uh, young lads, and they were probably young lads, uh, ages 10 to 12. Uh, this was not probably young adults, sort of the soccer hooligans that we see, European countries, uh, even some of the folks that we have seen down in the riots. These were younger kids, probably, like I said, in the ages of 10 to 12, and they come out. Uh, to mock the Lord's prophet, which of course is very significant because as we see the way that this story plays out, when you mock the Lord's representative, it is as if you are mocking the Lord. Now, what are we to take from this? couple of things. First of all, uh, one, mockery is, is so, so personal. 
Uh, and it's one of the, the cruelest things that we can do. Part of it just goes back to the fact that you are uh, elevating yourself and you are putting down another who is an image bearer. You know, Jesus helps us in the New Testament where he talks about, you have heard it said, if you murder somebody, um, that, of course, breaks God's law. But I tell you, he says, if you hate somebody in your heart, and if you express it with your lips, you know, if you go into this mockery, you are perpetrating an injustice against a fellow image bearer. And we see that here. But I think what's so crucial here to understand is where did these young lads learn this? They, of course, learned it from their parents. They are watching. They are observing those that have gone before them. And they are carrying out this long disobedience in the same direction. What we are seeing here is the fruit of the fathers to the children. What does uh, God say? back in Exodus and Deuteronomy to the third and the fourth generation. There's no mistake here. This is the third, the fourth generation of people that have built their life in opposition to the Lord. This, of course, is a big warning for us in, in application because we recognize that uh, our kids are watching us. And, and the things that come out of their mouths are things that they have learned somewhere. They've learned them from the adults in their life, their grandparents. They've learned them from their parents. They've learned them uh, from Sunday school teachers and others that they are in community with. And it's a big reminder to us to make sure that the things that are coming out of our mouth are reflective of the glory of God and giving that glory to those that bear his image. I, I worry about this because I hear a lot of the rhetoric uh, that goes on in our political circles. I hear a lot of the rhetoric that goes on with regards to responses of churches and individuals to coronavirus and all of these things. You know, Pastor Bryant spoke about that last week. We talked about the things that uh, we post on Facebook. I think one of the things that we see here is our kids are watching and they learn it. And, and what Elisha does here is he calls on, and this is something that prophets do. Prophets stand in the gap between God and his people with regards to the covenant, and they pronounce covenant blessings and covenant curses. And when he sees the evidence of this long apostasy coming out in these children, uh, he, he calls out a covenant curse. And notice then that it is God, uh, not necessarily Elisha, uh, it is God that sends these she-bears out of the woods. And these she-bears maul 42 of the boys. Note that it was 42 of the boys. Uh, that wasn't the totality of the boys that were there. So this was not a small thing. Uh, there was intention on the part of these boys to go out of the city. There was intention to jeer, to mock uh, the Lord's servant. And there was a large crowd of them that had picked up this thing. And, and what God sends out of the woods is the reminder of the fact that God nor his prophets will be mocked, and that in the end, uh, he will come and he will judge. Um, now, of course, we are not in a theophany. I've emphasized this several times over the course of this series in the same way that Israel was in relationship to God uh, back in these days. But 
we do know that justice will come. This has been a major theme of this passage, whether it's with Ahab or whether it is coming with Jezebel or here with the people of Bethel. Uh, judgment will come. And that's a tremendous comfort to us as Christians because we see people rising in opposition. And, and it's right for us to cry out for justice. What's wrong for us, of course, is to take that into our own hands. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. But we can be assured that God will come and he will judge. And this gives us a great freedom to trust him as we go. God is the one that will execute justice and we can rest, therefore, in him. The other thing I will just note you know, some of you may still be struggling with the fact that, that these are kids. Um, but I really want to encourage you young people here. You have a place. We see that sort of negatively here in this story. Like these kids are responsible for the actions that they have taken. Uh, but positively, we can see that, that kids matter, that you count. And I want you to know that as young people, like your obedience and disobedience, it's not, it's not like you are insignificant to the community of Christ. In fact, I would say that you are very significant. We need you as adults. We need you to be pursuing the Lord. I am so encouraged uh, when I see some of my kids or, or you in the congregation, when I see you say, you know, I was reading God's word and this really stood out to me. What a what a magnificent thing that is. And I do not minimize that at all. Uh, in fact, I want to encourage you to keep pursuing the Lord. Your relationship with him matters. Just as we see here a negative example of that, we also recognize positively uh, that your relationship matters. The second thing that we see in this series of stories here is not only the results of a long disobedience in the same direction, but also uh, a sweet healing in an unexpected place. So you remember, the, as uh, Elisha succeeds Elijah, he goes from the east of the Jordan uh, into Jericho, and then back out to Bethel, and then he goes to Mount Carmel, and then he goes to Samaria. So kind of reversing the journey that Elijah has had over the last several chapters where he went Carmel, Samaria, and then we saw Gilgal, Bethel, Jordan. Uh, Elisha now begins to reverse that. He also, incidentally, is sort of reenacting Israel's history for them. As he crosses the Jordan, he comes to a place where the water is bad. This is uh, sort of a repeat of Exodus chapter 15, where Israel crosses over the Red Sea, and uh, the first thing that they encounter is bitter water at Marah. And, and those waters, then Moses throws that log in, and the waters are made sweet. So here we see sort of this repeat of Israel's history. But let's see if we can understand a little bit more what is going on here. Again, it's so significant that this is Jericho. Just like Bethel was the symbol of Israel's apostasy, so also was Jericho. Uh, the fact that it was rebuilt, it was Heel, a Bethelite, 1 Kings chapter 16, who rebuilt it. But you remember it was 
was Joshua chapter 6, verse 26, where the original curse was against Jericho. And he said, anybody that rebuilds a city, it will be at the cost of their children. And what's the problem here? Well, the problem is the water is bad and it's causing uh, unfruitfulness and miscarriage. Uh, these are the words that are being uh, talked about here as the men come out of the city and they say to Elisha, we need your help. Um, uh, this is the situation. The city's very beautiful. The surrounding area is very beautiful, but the water's bad. Uh, the water is causing miscarriage and death. It is probably literally here miscarriage uh, for both humans, for animals. Uh, when it talks about the land miscarrying, it's probably euphemistic for the, the people of the land at this point. So death is coming out of the water. What's significant here is the difference between the men of the city who come out to Elisha humbly, and of course the boys or the young lads of the city uh, who came out of Bethel to Elisha mocking and jeering. This is always uh, part of our relationship with the Lord. How will we come? Will we come defiantly? Will we come with our fist in the air? Or will we come humbly? And when we come humbly, like the men of the city of Jericho do to the prophet, now it's not curse that the prophet brings, but he brings blessing. Uh, he asks them for a new bowl and salt. It's tough to know exactly what the symbolism is here. Um, uh, there are a couple of different things. If you look back in Leviticus and um, a couple of other places in the Old Testament, salt is used in covenant ceremonies. Uh, salt had sort of this double-edged sword purpose. On the one hand, if you wanted to uh, kill a land, you would salt it and, and nothing would grow there anymore. That actually still works. If you want to kill your land, you know, throw a bunch of salt on it and it will kill it. But also salt was a preservative. So it, it brought life where there was death. And, and I wonder if that's not part of the symbolism here. Uh, Jericho was a city that was essentially salted by the Lord. Uh, it was a, a symbol of death. But now God uses that same salt that brought death in order to bring life back out of the fountain. And note that Elisha goes to the source. Uh, he goes back to the fountainhead of the city uh, and in order to, to heal it. He went to the spring of water and he threw salt in it. And he says specifically, the water has been healed to this day according to the word of the Lord. Uh, thus says the Lord, I, not Elisha, I, the Lord, have healed it uh, according to the word that Elisha spoke. There's so much here just in terms of understanding what is going on and, and even the picture that it brings us even now 
of what it means to walk with the Lord in obedience and discipleship. As I've already mentioned, we come humbly like the men of the city. Uh, we also recognize that we have to go back to the source in order for healing. You know, he doesn't go around to every single well, but he goes back to the source, to the spring. The Bible tells us that out of the heart, Proverbs uh, 4, right? Out of the heart flows the issues of life. The heart is the source, the place where we have to look into ourselves. What are we passing down to our kids that we talked about in just a minute? It's, it's doing battle at the heart level. Uh, it's not only the words. It's not only the anger. It's These things are fruit sins, so to speak. Uh, but we go back to the source and we apply the gospel to that particular place. Um, but the other thing that is so crucial for us to understand here is that there is no place beyond the healing of the Lord. You know, here is Jericho. Jericho, the place that uh, stood as a testimony to a raised fist against God. You have said, don't do, I am going to do, said Achan. And God cursed the city. And yet, when the people come out humbly, God says, I will reverse that curse and I will bring healing in the place where there was death. Some of you may be feeling your Jericho moment. I mentioned my friend Jimmy at the very beginning, and, and he certainly felt this. He looked at his life and he said, my whole life has been a Jericho life. I, I feel like I've been beyond the pale of God's mercy. I feel like there's been no hope for me. Uh, but God, uh, as it were, brought salt to the spring uh, and brought healing to his heart. And, and God gave him a sweetness where there had only been bitterness and sorrow before. There, there had only been a raised fist. There now uh, was a humble heart. And, and this is the promise of mercy here. Remember, we talked about Romans eleven twenty two. Behold, the kindness and the severity of our God. They go together. They're not actually in opposition to one another. They're actually held together in the same way that we see this story. Our God comes as the one who keeps covenant. And because he is faithful to keep covenant, because he pours out his justice, he can also be merciful to us. What do I mean by that? Well, it's an expectant question that comes, uh, that comes to us all. Uh, you remember this passage that we read, and we read it a couple weeks ago as well, 15 to, uh, to 18. After Elijah cross, or Elisha crosses back over the Jordan, they say, where is the God of Elijah? And of course, the, the answer is here, now, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. Elisha is the prophet of God. A couple of weeks ago, I highlighted to you the significance of the name Elisha. It means our God saves. It's very similar to Joshua 
which is Yahweh saves, which of course is what Jesus's name is. When we meet Elisha, we meet Jesus. When we see him bringing covenant blessings and covenant curses to these two different towns, to these different people, we recognize that this is the ministry of the Messiah. This is what the Savior of Israel came to do. He came to fulfill the obligations of the covenant. But what is so interesting or what is so crucial for us to understand is that as Elisha uh, doled out the blessings to one and the curses to the other, uh, Jesus came to take that all into himself, uh, to, to be the one. It's interesting, you know, Jesus was the one who was mocked. He was jeered. We see that in Isaiah 50. We see it in Luke 18. Uh, he was handed over to the religious leaders. He was mocked. And in fact, in Isaiah 53, we see that they, they pull out portions of his hair. There is even a, a head baldness connection with that. But Jesus took the severity, the mocking, in order that we could have the kindness, the sweetness, the healing of God. Jesus was the one, as it were, the salt that was sown to bring death, uh, death to sin. As he went to the cross, uh, it was, he, he was sown in death in order that we might have the life and the preservation that is brought to the source in Jericho, that we might have the sweetness, the healing that comes through his shed blood. That's the remedy. The remedy here was salt. It, it is both um, you know, death and life. Uh, it, it is the blood of Jesus, which is both the death of Jesus, but it is for us the very life by which we live. So when we come to this question, what we see here is that the word, and this is so important, the word that the prophet brings, the prophet Elisha, the word that he brings is a word of life and in death. And this is exactly what Paul says in 2 Corinthians, where he says, uh, we come preaching to you the gospel, which to some is the savor of life to life, to others it is the odor of death unto death. Uh, I come presenting to you Jesus. This is the word. This is what we need in our cultural moment. We come back to the word because it is here that we find death and life, and we find it all coming to a head in the person of Jesus who came as the Word and came as the wisdom of God. This is, I think, what's so important in 15 to 18. It's kind of a weird interaction. These 50 prophets are like, hey, can we go look for Elijah? And Elisha says, no, don't. Don't bother. He's gone. And they prevail upon him. And finally, he's like, okay, if you don't believe me, go ahead and look. So they go to look for three days, and they come back, and Elisha says, I told you so. You would not believe my word. 
And that's the expectant question. Do we believe the word of a prophet, the word that brings us the kindness and the severity of God in the person of Jesus Christ? Brothers and sisters, I I hope that you see the sweetness of this passage. I, I hope that you see the promise of it because in many ways we live in Jericho even now. But God is coming to us and says, the waters are sweet. Uh, The waters are sweet through the blood of my son. He is the remedy that will go to the very source of your heart, what you need. And it will overflow then into the whole town. The death that reigns in the water will reign no more. What a promise that is for our culture that through the lives of people being changed by the blood of Jesus, we will bring sweetness to those around us. But there is also that warning that if we do not allow the severity of God to fall on Jesus, we do not allow the severity of God to fall on our Savior, then we will have to answer for it ourselves, us and our children, even to the third and the fourth generations. May the Lord give us eyes to see and hearts to understand. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word here today, and we realize that it comes as an expectant question for all of us. Where are our hearts? Do we fall humbly before you as the men of Jericho, or do we come out mocking and jeering uh, as those boys at Bethel? Father, may it be the former and not the latter. For us, for our children, for our culture, bring the sweet healing to the source of all of our discomfort, to our pride, uh, to our apostasy, to our unbelief, Lord, we ask that you would heal it uh, with the salt of the covenant, even Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you, and we ask that you would meet us uh, in the precious name of our Savior. Amen.